Welcome to the Philip Wiley Show. Take a look behind the curtain of professional hacking and hear compelling discussions with guests from diverse backgrounds who share a common curiosity and passion for challenges and their job. And now, here's your host, offensive security professional, educator, mentor, and author, Philip Wiley. Hello, welcome to another episode. I'm very excited to have Daniel Meisler joining today. Uh, Daniel and I met through a mutual friend, Jason Haddix. He introduced us during uh, the 2019 B-Side San Francisco. And so I've been following his uh, newsletter, Unsupervised Learning, as well as his his podcast. So if you're someone that doesn't have the time to spend on research or that's not your thing, it's definitely a great resource to check out. Uh, one of the things I really like that Daniel's been doing, and he's been doing this for a while, is discussing AI. I had no clue about AI. This is way before chat GPT or anything, but some of the things he shared on there was, was very interesting. So whether you're into AI or not, there's something for anyone on there, technology related. And I love the way he shares uh, some different topics from time to time. So awesome resource, highly recommend you checking it out. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. It was a, it was a fun time during during RSA recording a, an episode of the Hacker Factory. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Really enjoyed that one. It was a lot of fun. I figured, you know, that the three of you guys, for those listening, I had Daniel, uh, Ben, a.k.a. Nahamsek, and Jason Haddix on, and we were discussing content creation since all these gentlemen do a lot of that area. And so it's kind of, I think it's a, an important topic to, to, to discuss because it's a good way to leverage to build your brand. Sometimes you're just trying to break in the industry. I've seen people that have basically broken in based off of their content creation. So definitely something that people want to ledger, leverage. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that as well. I've seen a lot of people starting to get jobs. Um, it's been going on for a while. People getting jobs because of this, um, actual real corporate jobs, just based on, um, kind of learning in public. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, talking about their journey uh, as they're learning, especially in like uh, security testing and that sort of thing. One of the one of the ones that come to mind with me, especially considering the company that hired them, is really kind of uh, showing how things are progressing. Because you know some of these other companies hire people. That's great, but one of the ones that really impressed me was how Black Hills hired uh, Serena that goes under the handle She Networks. You know, she had like a Cisco background and not that she was, you know, she was very skilled at what she does. She was working at Cisco at the time and Black Hills saw her videos and saw her as a, an asset to them because of the content creation. She was getting into some security stuff and doing some walkthroughs like that. But they uh, invite her to join the team, seeing that content creation can help market a company. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that. Um it's like you see talent in one particular area and you realize that that energy and talent can transfer to other areas. So the moment she says, oh, I'm also getting into security, boom. She's basically a security influencer at that point. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, it's kind of, you know, when you think about it from a marketing perspective, it's kind of low cost to, to no cost marketing when you figure what you could do on social media, uh, different podcast platforms and, and YouTube. Yeah. And you think of the some of the especially you get someone out there that are, that are have a good following, then they're able to amplify amplify that that message. Totally. 
So for the listeners that don't know of you, we have a lot of people that are just getting started, aspiring security professionals. Uh, would you mind sharing your background, kind of how you started out and where you are today and kind of how yeah, you got uh, there? Yeah, I came out of high school and went into the Army. And I was, um, I was airborne infantry for uh, about six years, got out and went to college. I was originally going to do pre-med, but uh, found a computer lab and, and immediately switched majors to, um, to computers and uh, ended up running the lab and then ended up running information security for the whole campus. Um, it was a small school, but uh, ended up doing security for the campus. Um, had a couple jobs there, and then I left and went into um, a security engineering role, which was, um, it was kind of everything it was IDS, IPS, lots of firewalls, lots of TCP IP. Um, and that's where I started writing uh, primers on uh, different technical topics. And then uh, from there, I went into offensive security and pen testing and um, security assessment and that sort of thing. And did that for quite some time. Um, and then th I'm still out east. So I'm from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, but I was out east uh, doing this uh, after going into the Army. So I stayed out there and went to um, the security testing company. I went to Aflac. And then my first job coming back home was HP. And I was there for like six years. I left there to go to uh, Apple, actually. Um, and uh, spent some time at Apple, spent some time at IOActive, um, most recently spent some time at Robinhood, and have just been doing uh, consulting type work in addition to my internal work at these companies um, for, for like 15 years. And now um, I branched out and I am independent under the brand uh, Unsupervised Learning. And I'm basically building products um, at, at the intersection of AI and security and um, doing the show and also doing advising and consulting at the same time. Very cool. So, I mean, that's kind of was very inspirational to me and, you know, cause everyone, you know, a lot of people aspire to be in business for themselves and just kind of seeing what you're doing, you know, you're getting to do all the things you enjoy to do. And, and I'm sure there's still some business and stuff in there, some meetings you still have to attend doing your consulting, but whenever you can just kind of, distill things down to what you like to do. That's got to be a lot more enjoyable. It, it really is. I mean, it's, it's easy to say from, from this position and, and I've been very lucky and I've also had a lot of time to get to this point and I've been visible in public for most of that time since I started in like 1999. So I would say that having a visible brand really does help you. Um, even if it's not helping you directly get jobs, which it does, even if it didn't do that, what it does is it connects you with other people who are on a similar journey. And so I, I know most people who are established in the security space because we've all been sort of grinding and struggling at, at this for, for decades. Um, and in the case of myself, you know, multiple decades. But even people have been struggling for five, 10 years. Like I know who they are because they're struggling in public along with me. And it's a, it's a really good way to, um, to meet people um, who have shared challenges. And I, I really recommend the working for yourself as soon as possible. I, I know it's not easy at first and it is best to have some experience and you need to kind of like 
learn learn what's going on in the space before you do this. But I recommend as soon as you can to try and take this road because I, I essentially don't have meetings that I that I don't want to be involved in. And if I don't agree with how something is being run, I either try to steer it in a in a way I think is more beneficial, or um, I just don't participate in that thing. And you'd be surprised how much energy you spend fighting against organizations that kind of like have the wrong goals in your opinion. And it, maybe they have the right goals in someone else's opinion, or, um, you know, their, their goals aren't necessarily bad. But if you have a mission and a goal in life to go and do something, and you're involved in organizations one after another, that are just kind of like missing the point, like it's, it's an attack against your soul. It doesn't necessarily eat your soul, but it contains it, contains your soul and, and makes it so that you're not really doing what, what you were, you know, sent here to do. And in my case, I, kn I know what I want to be doing. I want to be talking about things that I enjoy. I want to be building things that I think matter. And it's really hard to do that when starting at 9 a.m., you're in random meetings about planning cycles. And you're just talking about planning and nobody ever does what they actually set out to do when they're planning. It's just a giant waste. So I, I really encourage people to try as soon as they can to get onto a path where they literally spend most of their time during the week working on things they actually care about. Like that, that is life. So I, I strongly recommend it. Yeah. That's one of the things too. It seems like you kind of are able to overcome because there's some point when you're in some environment, especially if you're working for some corporation or startup that you're doing the same thing all the time and you may get pigeonholed and you may not be able to advance or get to, to work with some of the latest technologies. I've actually had jobs that I took in the past during my sysadmin years that were kind of behind in technology and I left because I didn't want to fall behind. So at least I guess when you're doing what you're doing, you're able to keep up with the most current technologies you'd want to and keep feeding that interest. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that's most important is you have to know what you want, right? And, um, you know, I've been around for a while, so I, and I'm older, right? So I, I know what I want. I have for, you know, 15 years or so. Um, when you're first starting out, it's okay to, to dabble around and try different things and work, work at corporate jobs because you're, you're feeling yourself out and, and that's fine. But at some point, it's like when you know what you want and you realize the, the, the organizations that you're a part of aren't going to help you get there, that, that's when it's time to make the jump. Yeah, very interesting. So for someone, you know, like yourself, you had, you know, not someone like yourself, but you having the, the your name in the industry being well known, being able to get those customers, what would you recommend for someone that's not quite as well known? How can they go about building up that customer base? Um, it happens naturally just by talking about the things you're interested in. So when you have people following your work online, and it could be as simple as like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to stand up this uh, automation for security testing. Oh, I tried this, but it didn't work. And they see you stumble. They see you fail. They see you succeed. Over the years, like two years later, three years later, five years later, 10 years later, the people who started following you were on a similar path, but now they're directors at some company. Now they're VPs at some company. Now they're CISOs, right? And so when you're like, hey, um, by the way, I've now have an offering 
that I'm, um, I'm doing, or I'm available to do pen tests, right? You already have a set of customers now who are going to be like, I would do a pen test with them because I like their moral direction, but I also like their skill set. And I know they would deliver a quality product because I've been listening to them for five years or three years or 10 years or whatever it is. So learning in public and just like being somewhat transparent about your learning process, it automatically gives you access to all these, these people. Um, and of course you won't want to like do it for the purpose of that, but it's a nice, you know, piece of exhaust that comes out of that process of transparency. So I would say, I would say, don't worry so much about getting the work, just get really good at doing the job and the work will come. Makes sense. Cause you hear, you hear stories of people that, that are, are doing business that they get so more, much work, they finally have to adjust their pay because they're just too overwhelmed with work. Yeah. So I guess another thing too, with the people that have, have followed you is, is, you know, that, that's interesting. You mentioned some of them are, are uh, managers, but some of the things I would see people benefit from that they've learned from you and there's ways they just kind of want to help pay back what you've done to them, pay it back. And by uh, offering you business and getting you involved with their company and projects. Well, yeah. And, and they also recognize that I'm likely to do a good job because they've seen me do other work and, and talk about other work. And also that, that you're, you know, you mentioned how you, you've been working on things and things didn't go exactly as you planned. You worked through it and figured it out. So at least they're seeing that you're honest too, because if you're only, it, when you, you think you look at life from like an Instagram lens, most people only post what's good. All the success is usually not the failures, but if people see you kind of working through things, they kind of get a level for your honesty because, you know, no one is going to be perfect and, and right all the time. Yeah, that's right. So as far as learning in public, what are some kind of uh, methods that you recommend as far as ways that you can demonstrate uh, this working in public? Um, the biggest thing is you, you've got to have uh, something, you got to have a website. You've got to play, you have to have a place where you're talking about your stuff. Um, Twitter is one place to do that. Um, a website is another place to do that. I would say if you have a small idea, um, maybe Twitter is a good place for that. But as it gets bigger, and you realize that it's bigger, it's better to take that into an essay or a blog post or an article on, on your own site. And so the basic idea is that you just want to have ideas. Ideas are the kernel of everything. Don't forget about website, forget about Twitter, forget about YouTube and all those things. Those are just syndication channels. The most important thing is the idea itself. So whether you're writing a little handwritten note to yourself, hey, isn't it interesting that this is kind of like this? And then if you do this well, you automatically do that well. Whatever that thing is, that's a little blurb that could be valuable on Twitter. And when you put out something, you might not think that actually has any value. But you could put that out and 20 people read that on Twitter and they realize it and then it shapes the way they do things, right? They take a new project, they take a new job as a result of what you wrote. And you'll find out years later that that was a pivotal moment for them. You don't even remember that tweet. But you have to get in the process of, one, having the ideas, which I've got ideas around that. But the more important thing is you want to be able to capture that thing. Maybe you only capture it for yourself, 
but you don't want to have good ideas where you put into your back of your mind and you say, oh, I'll come back to that later because you won't because you'll forget it. So I, I learned this from the David Allen uh, getting things done system like 20 years ago. Um, immediately capture, always immediately capture. I have 2,800, I was just talking to a friend and, and uh, pulled this up yesterday, 2,800 Apple notes right now. And it's because um, it's a place that I um, very commonly uh, capture. And I also have these notes, which are um, index cards. And I use my uh, space pen and I write down on an index card or I use Apple notes, but it, whatever I have for an idea always gets captured. And then I can decide later, is this just a tweet? Is it a tweet and a blog post? Is it a tweet and a blog post and a podcast? Um, do I want to write a book about this? Because this one little kernel of an idea is big enough to be an entire book. Very interesting. And that, that's a good point. Something to something to think about, because so many times you come up with things and if you don't write it down, you totally forget. You may not get it just right. So I think it's a that's a great idea. You hear people journaling and stuff. Is that anything you ever do? Do you ever just kind of like brainstorm and just do a brainstorming session and just write things down? Or is this just stuff that you kind of come up with? It. I mean, I, I don't do that much journaling. Um, I probably should do more. I. I do have a journal. It's just, I haven't added much to it lately. Journaling, I only do for very internal personal thought processes or like tracking how I believe I'm doing like uh, health wise and like goals wise and stuff like that. But um, in terms of journaling, the way a lot of people do it, I think in terms of it's the only place that they write, I don't have that pressure build up because I'm writing all the time and I'm putting it online. So in some sense, I'm journaling virtually every day, but in the, in the deeply personal sort of diary sense, I would say I don't do that that often. And as far as your content goes, you started out blogging and, and you've kind of moved into doing podcasts. It's kind of really interesting. One of the things I have to think of mention before I forget about it is it's really cool that your format of your podcast are usually what, like 15 to 20 minutes. And one of the new trends out there is I saw was micro podcasting where people write these small or do these small podcasts throughout the course of, you know, three to five days, putting out these smaller podcasts instead of larger ones. So that's kind of interesting. Has that format, I would assume it's worked out pretty well for you. Yeah, I, I like it. It's um, it, there's a really power. We talked about it on, on the other podcast that we did together. Um, there's a really powerful concept to do the thing that resonates with you. Right. Um, I saw someone talking about this. Oh, it was Rick Rubin. He was talking about ignore the audience. And some the interviewer asked him, why would you say ignore the audience? He's like, I ignore the audience because I really care about the audience. If you create for the audience, your, your content will be garbage. If you create for yourself, what you really want to get into the world or even the product that you wish you had, which is what I'm doing in my case. Um, I would love for someone else to do something like the unsupervised learning uh, newsletter or podcast. I would absolutely follow that. And therefore that's why I created that. Um, 
It's a really powerful guiding force because um, whenever I'm worried, I don't get enough clicks on something or something, you know, it's doesn't seem to be working. I'm just like, I'm going to keep doing this because it resonates with me. And, and the great fact about, you know, a large world is that something that resonates with you is very likely to resonate with a great number of other people. It's just a matter of have they been exposed to it? Maybe they need to be exposed two or three times or seven times, but the odds are you're going to have an audience. And my audience isn't super massive just for the podcast um, because a lot of people don't listen to podcasts um, and, and don't really like to consume things via audio. But um, that same content could be YouTube content. And it's also the newsletter where I have a lot more reach on the newsletter. Yeah, that's real, really interesting how you do that. And so I'm kind of familiar with the way you do things. But if you could share kind of the, the subject of your podcast, what, how, what the content is in your podcast. Yeah, so it's, it's, um, its main structure is uh, security news, technology news, and human news. So security, tech, and humans. So security, because it's my career, it's, it's what I've spent all that time doing. Tech, because it's like innovation and like the future. And then humans, because I think all this only matters because of humans. I believe science is subordinate to art. And I believe that um, tech is subordinate to humanity. Um, I'm not interested in tech for tech's sake or, or science for science's sake. I, I'm interested in how that impacts with humans and, and what we care about. So ultimately, I, I feel that I am a humanist or a someone who cares about humans. I'm more interested in the big picture and the real, the big questions. And then I'm just a nerd. I happen to be a nerd and I happen to love tech and I happen to love security. And it happens to be the only way I can make money, right? You can't make all that much money talking about humans. Um, you can, but it, it's a lot harder. Um, so what I do is I just pursue my nerdiness in the tech world and talk about the things that happen to luckily make money, but I'm always bridging them over into the human side. Why does this matter? What are your goals as a human? What are you trying to accomplish? How do you build a career that has long-term meaning? All those sorts of things. So it starts at the tactical, but turns into the, the strategic. And unsupervised learning, um, my partner actually named it. She she um, had a great idea because I was showing her all these different names and she picked unsupervised learning. And I was like, yeah, that is really the best one. And um, what I love about it is it's, it's learning, which is kind of like a meta thread for everything I do. Um, but it's unsupervised, which means there aren't any rules for how you learn things. And there aren't any boundaries between disciplines. Like, you know, you're a specialist in this one lower piece. Oh, it, is it science or is it art? Is it, I don't care about those, those boundaries, right? So there's the unsupervised learning in the sense of like, how are you learning and gaining new knowledge? But it's also a machine learning term. Um, I've been obsessed with AI going back to like 2014 or so. Um, and I named this in 2015. Uh, so that's when the podcast started. So unsupervised learning is a, is a machine learning term for um, finding patterns inside of data, which is another thing that's a massive thread through everything I do. So you've got these two meanings of the, of, of the term and it just turned out to be a great uh, brand name. 
That is an awesome name, even when you, it's really cool to know the background where it came from and the concept, but it's even more, just even aside from that, you don't know that background. It's really, really cool, really a cool name for, for a podcast and a newsletter. So for the, the listeners out there, I'm actually a subscriber to Daniel's podcast and newsletter. And one of the things I like about it is I like podcasts. So if I'm going on a walk or if I'm driving somewhere, you know, you can go through this 20 minute podcast and hear about content that's in the newsletter and you can go back and dig deeper, which is kind of nice to kind of get through it quickly. Maybe there's something that you're not as interested in, but you kind of get the highlights and then you can go back and, and look at it and dig deeper and then look at some of the older blog posts and articles. One of the blog posts I loved on there too that I use with students was the one you did on encryption. Uh, let's see. Versus encryption, encoding. encoding. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a good, very good one. So anyone that wants to to learn or get educated on anything, you know, security technology wise, it's a really great resource. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, one one thing about the format that I think you might have been alluding to earlier is that um, the the newsletter is the podcast. Um, sometimes in the podcast, I do expand slightly if I get overly excited or whatever. Uh, I'll expand on a topic, but in general, it is the same content. And it's it's um, it's simply a um, a different medium, right? Some people can't stand to read newsletters; they can't read anything. They don't like to read, right? They must hear it or watch it. So um, I'm working on basically having a YouTube version as well, which is basically overdubbed the audio because people want to see the audio and they want to see the um, the waveform of the audio with like a background of UL. Um, I won't do, I won't actually uh, perform the uh, podcast live for, for the um, video version, but it'll have some sort of animation and, and for people who just love to watch YouTube. Um, and some people like audio, some people like text, some people like video. And, and uh, the important point is it's only one piece of content across all three uh, mediums. And one of the things I think that's great about it too is it it kind of addresses, you know, you mentioned the preference piece, but the learning style. Some people learn better from listening than reading. Cause like when I was in when in high school, the class I did best in was science. The other classes I really didn't take so seriously. And I would do good in class because I take notes, pay attention to lectures, really didn't study, and I would get A's on my exams because of listening. The kind of books I would check out would be science books, but just listening. And so for me, you know, I'm into powerlifting and health and fitness. And some of the ways I learned the most was listening to podcasts because, you know, you can do other things while you're listening. So I think it's great that you offer more than one learning style because not everyone learns the same. And I think from education as a whole, it'd be nice when we get to the way uh, people are taught and they're presented with multiple ways to learn instead of just one way, which may not be the best way for them to learn. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, luckily, I think where we're going with the AI stuff is pointing directly to um, digital assistants, which I wrote a book about this in uh, 2016. And um, it, uh, I didn't really push it at all because the ideas were so kind of crazy. Um, and, and now I'm getting ready to actually recommend that people read it because the stuff is starting to come true. Um, and the idea is basically that your digital assistant will basically know everything about you and will be interacting with the world, collecting things that matter to you 
and then bringing them to you and filtering them and then delivering them to you in the way that's best for you. So to your point, um, it will know that you prefer audio uh, to text or whatever. So it'll just consume all the different things and then create little audio blurbs. When you wake up and say, tell me the news, what is, you know, Philip done lately? It'll tell you like what Philip has done lately in a little blurb in audio. And the reason it gives it to you in that format is because it knows your preferences. It knows how you like to receive things. Very cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. I forget what the name of the one is. I saw some digital assistant recently that goes in. It's AI that it looks at your calendar and can rearrange stuff for your calendar. So uh, that'll be kind of nice because I know some people like myself, sometimes I have a hard time making decisions. And if I could have some tool like that to help me make quicker decisions and make my life more efficient would be good. Absolutely. One of the things before I forget, I want to make sure that we cover too, is I know you had said a while back that to write things in a blog and that you didn't recommend platforms like Medium. And one of the things that I I always saw the social aspect of it and thought that may be the way to go, but just kind of seeing how it's paywalled and then thinking back to Peerlist, because remember Peerlist was very popular. And I asked someone at one time, should I write on Medium or Peerlist? And they said Peerlist, and then Peerlist is is no more. Yep. And, and in my opinion, I guess there was some kind of questionable content on there because uh, some of the people wrote the articles, really didn't understand the articles, so the quality was kind of bad. So kind of what's your reasoning behind using your blog and not a platform like Medium? Yeah, it's funny. I'm actually considering a migration to one of the platforms. Um, I've got a number of, of reasons for that. Um, largely because of some of the platforms that I'm on right now, I need to get off of and I'm looking to consolidate, but that's kind of a, a side topic. Um, in general, the reason I, I advocate for this is that like Peerlist and like Medium and like Blogger and like Movable Type, like I've done like seven of these migrations over over, over the time that I've been doing this. And um, what happens is you see the it's an S curve of innovation, right? It's like, oh my goodness, this is the best thing ever. And then uh, you see this rise and you see the peak. And then usually there's something like a sale or a sellout or um, the team breaks up, like money changes everything, right? And success changes everything. And you just don't want to have your identity be inside of a thing that can blow apart. Um, So, it's best if you're, first of all, your domain should be the center of everything that you do for your identity, for your career and for your brand. Your domain is everything, right? So you want to have that on a really good provider. I would recommend um, Google or Cloudflare. Um, I think Cloudflare is likely to be a, a long, around for a very long time. And Google is super solid for domain management. Um, but you want to have that and own that. And then the question is, where do you have your actual content? Either just make sure that it's on that domain and make sure that whatever platform you use, it's easy to import and export it out. And it's not like someone else like really controlling it. Like when I see people do all of their blogging on LinkedIn, I'm like, what are you doing? Like they, they could just change that platform at will. They could start rolling off your old posts or whatever. You need to have control of your content. Um, And then all the different brands that you do, syndication sources, you want to have those linked out from your site. So someone should be able to go to your site and see your Instagram and see your TikTok 
and see your Reddit posts and see um, your your YouTube and your Twitter. Um, and of course, your blog will be right there on the site, um, but also a link to find you on um, the podcast platform that you use. That should always be your home base, your domain. Um, and right now, today, a website should be your home base. And from there, it can branch out. And then all those different medium sources should point back to your domain. So it's just this, you know, self-referential loop of the core of your identity. And then what will happen is those different ones, Instagram, they'll start dying on the side of the road, right? Instagram will get bought or whatever. Um, TikTok goes away because some ban or whatever. And that'll get replaced with something else. But either way, when they go to your website, they'll see what the current version is. Very good advice. Very, very interesting to see there. And, and one of the things is kind of you see some of these other platforms. Sometimes they're like, I think some of the things with Medium is you're, you can only read like so many articles per day or whatever, which is kind of leaves it up to uh, consumers having to get, you know, an account on there or whatever. I don't know if it's a paid account or if that's how many times you can read it without being logged in. But those, some of those things are kind of, kind of frustrating. No, absolutely. And you don't actually know the rules. And, and what happens is, and this is all human behavior, and this is why you can't really trust these platforms, is because when they give those promises in the beginning, we are medium, we are a wide open platform, we will never hide this, or they might not be lying. In fact, they're probably not lying, they're probably telling the truth. Problem is six months later, 18 months later, three years later, 10 years later, those people might have left. The team composition could be totally different. They might have had two divorces and their dog died. Like you don't know if they're going to be the same person later. And so as things start getting rough, the founders break apart. They have money trouble. They're about to go bankrupt. Uh, they had to lay off a bunch of people. They're having a life crisis. Suddenly, Evil Corp comes in and says, hey, um, we're going to take a stake of this company. We're going to give you $7 million. They could pay all their back alimony or whatever whatever kind of drama they have in their life. And um, as a result, we need to put these ads in there. And you need to be talking about um, Hyperglow, the, the best product for cleaning your car or whatever. And suddenly, like, you're not in charge of that brand anymore. And suddenly, guess what? You changed the promises that you made seven years ago. And now it's a closed platform. And it's got ads and you can only read so many things today. And it's like, you've sold out, you've sold out. And maybe that's because the person's a bad person, but more likely life happened and things got complicated. And as a creator, you just have to assume that's going to happen to these different spoke brands that you're interacting with and make sure that your core is, is at the domain and at your own website, because maybe that thing will last for 20 years and it'll never get tainted and maybe it'll turn into garbage in two years. Like we're already starting to see, see and feel a little bit of negativity around Substack. But one year ago, it was at its peak. And now people are starting to look at other things. Um, Beehive is uh, a platform I'm considering moving to. But it has the exact same characteristics as um, I've seen from multiple ones. Uh, the pedigree of the people who did it is extraordinarily high. So I, I'm confident to some degree. But um, the pedigree of those people was also to build this th other thing up and then sell it. Right. So that could happen with Beehive. It happens to have the best features right now. 
It's cross-platform. It would allow me to unify tons of things together. But the risk is it will not be the same thing in two to three years from now, and definitely not five or 10 years from now, as it is today. And you just always have to keep that in mind as a creator. That's a good point. I guess be ready to move to other platforms and yes. move on to the, the next best thing. Because one of the, one of the people I like to follow for social media related stuff is Gary Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's got some interesting information on stuff. You know, he's always mentioning what he thinks is going to be the next platform. But you know, just sometimes you never know when you know some platform because who buys it gets a negative rap, you lose followers. But it's yeah. very interesting you mentioned to center everything around your domain. Your, your website, because another advantage I see of that too is is driving the search traffic. Because it seems like if you're too busy putting your time and effort into just social media or medium, these other platforms, getting all the traffic there, and you're neglecting your site when you need it. Then you're going to, have to go back and try to work on getting, you know, improving your SEO and getting the traffic to your site. No, absolutely. I mean, think about that. Like medium.com/slash Philip Wiley. That's their traffic. That's not your traffic, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and if you start linking off and, and pointing at your own site, that's something they don't want. They do not want other people on your website. They do not want people following Philip Wiley. They want people following Medium. So it's conflicting incentives right from the start. And that, that's the best reason to have all your stuff point to, your, to yourself because those are your ideas. They're not their ideas. And they're trying to make money off those ideas. And it's fine. It's fine to have a business, right? But um, under no circumstances, should you use a platform where it's their domain slash you, mm -hmm. right? It should always be you, um, even if it's hosted on their platform. Very good advice. So we're getting down towards the end of the episode. Is there anything you'd like to share before we close out? Um, I would say one thing that I've just been thinking about, is kind of random. Um, the quality, the importance of SEO is about to go down, I think quite a bit. And the importance of like having content on your own website, I think is about to go down, which is kind of ironic. Um, it's the first time I've ever seen this happen, but the reason is because AI, um, parses things and builds them into models. So very soon, it's not started happening yet, according to my stats, but um, I, I used to use my own website all the time. I would pull up my own website to find TCP IP stuff. I would pull it because anytime I forget something, I write an article about it, and then I read my article to remember it. And hmm. that, that's how the, the website started. So I would pull my website up multiple times per week because I forgot a flag on a command, right? Well, I don't do that anymore. What I do now is I do command pinky, which is the pinky is the quotes, um, the quotes character. Command pinky pulls up Mac GPT. And I say, what is the flag for capturing uh, NTP traffic on TCP dump, which I happen to know it's UDP uh, 123. So I wouldn't look that one up, but just as an example, um, and it pops up in one second, it gives me the exact command syntax for TCP dump, uh, for capturing UDP traffic on port 123, which captures, um, NTP traffic. I did not have to go to a browser. 
I did not have to type in a URL and I did not have to scan that page to find where that is on my page. Now, if I wrote that thing and I think it's good and I'm not using it, pretty soon nobody's going to be using it because guess what? Also read that web page. The scraper to build GPT-5 also read that web page. It's already been scraped into GPT-4. So when I write wisdom, air quotes, hopefully wisdom, and put it on my website, that is being parsed into an AI, which can then be queried with a little helper tool that queries uh, GPTs. So in the future, it'll just be your assistant, your, your digital assistant. You'll say, hey, how do I do this? Um, and it will respond and tell you exactly what the answer is. Where did it get it? It got it from a GPT. It did not go look in live time, in real time to look at someone's website. So there's going to be a lot fewer people looking at websites um, because I'm actually going to be able to say, in fact, I could say now probably, what does Philip Wiley think the best way is to get into pen testing? It's already read your book. It's already listened to all your podcasts. Here's what Philip thinks we should do to get started in pen testing. Um, and it knows, by the way, that I like terse responses. So it gave it to me in one sentence. It just took all of your wisdom and took that down to two sentences. It didn't navigate me to your website. It didn't take me to a podcast. It distilled it down into a summary. Um, so that's one, one way to be thinking about content creation and how it becomes like, basically like pee in the pool, right? All that wisdom goes into the, into the pool and you can't really pull it back out. Mm -hmm. um, it's great for users, but it's a little bit weird for creators because your wisdom gets pulled into the universal oracle that is AI. Yeah, that's going to be tough, especially for authors to spend all that time writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you could basically say, hey, summarize this book in five bullet points. And it's be like, doo, 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 doo. and you're like, yeah, I guess that's accurate. Well, do I really need to read this book? Um, I'm actually building something like that right now, uh, where when a book drops, um, I'm going to buy it immediately. I'm going to parse it and send it to AI. And then I'm just going to have a conversation with the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm going to be like, hey, what were the main topics? And I'm talking about 45 minutes after this book drops. I can have a conversation with it. Can you just imagine the learning opportunities with that? 100%. Because you you can make the character of, of the conversation. You could be like, talk to me like Yoda and explain this book to me. Right? And it's just, it's talking all weird. You know, when reach my age, you do look as good, you will not. And it talks to you like that, or it could talk to you like some crazy, like, um, gym trainer. And it's like yelling at you, motivate, motive, uh, motivation coach, like Tony Robbins or something. And it's just like, you got to do this. You got to do that. If it's a productivity book, maybe it's recipes. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. You can receive the knowledge in the tone of voice and the, and the, um, the character that you like to be taught in. Very interesting. Pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate you joining today. Uh, but that's the end of this episode, unless there's something else you want to share before we, before we end. No, I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me.
Oh, thank you. This has been an awesome conversation. As always, I learned something from you. And so very interesting to hear about AI. Like I've mentioned, you're kind of the person that I know of that knows the most about AI. So really kind of great to get your insights and I look forward to your, your future content on the subject. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Philip Wiley Show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, to learn more about Philip, go to thehackermaker.com and connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Philip Wiley. Until next time.